I, uh, I have the pleasure of listening. I, I, I will definitely not take all the credit for a lot of cool things that happen at MacAv. I listen, and I heard somebody years ago talk about an outreach that they did, and it was an Easter egg hunt. So this was back when Pastor Eric and Eric were here. We both start, all of us started doing the Easter egg hunt. And the Easter egg hunt is one where families come out, we go to the park, we put a bunch of eggs out, and then kids just run and grab the eggs, and we put out like 3,000 eggs. And you would think 3,000 eggs would take a long time to get picked up. It's like five, five to seven minutes, all the eggs are gone. But you would think I would learn a lesson. Because year one, we did this, all the eggs out, all the candy out. Actually, that year, Dawn was in my living room. We stuffing eggs, putting tape on them. I mean, we, we got it laid out. All the eggs gone in seven minutes, and then four or five families come up. Hey, pastor, is it over? Yeah, yeah it, we, we, we just did it like 10 minutes ago. Y'all still got some food and some candy, right? <laughs> did you see what just Like, there's no candy. Year two, boom, do it again. All right, whoa, there's more kids this year. We got to put out all these eggs. Next thing I know, all the eggs, all the candy, gone. What happens? 20 minutes later, somebody come up. Hey, did I miss it? So we got smart. Hannah got on it. We got a nice little stash put to the side. But in those years before we had the stash, this is what would happen. Somebody would come to me asking for candy, and when I said we didn't have any more, they would get an attitude with me. They, they mad at me. What you mean you out of candy? What kind of place is this that y'all don't have candy for the kids? Now, they know they're late. They would tell me, oh, I read the flyer wrong. I went to another park. Or, man, we, couldn't, we caught the bus. Or there was a lot of different reasons, and I'm not blaming, I'm not sorry, but they would get angry. They would almost get enraged that I didn't know that they was going to be late and set a bag of candy aside just for them. So we got kind of hip this year. But if, if I can be honest, I kind of, I could relate to them. I can relate to how inside of me I can feel entitled to something. I can feel like something should be mine just based on how much I want it. As if it should be owed to me. See, God is a God that is generous and giving. And today we are going to look at something that God gives us that maybe we think we are owed. It's called salvation. But God doesn't give us salvation based on how much we think it is owed to us or we demand it. God gives us this gift by grace. And we're going to understand the beauty of this grace that is given to us. So would you please join me in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is towards the back of 
the Bible, and we are going to look at chapter 1, starting at verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And when somebody gets there, let me know what page we're on for the folks that's trying to... 1727, family. 1727. And my folks that's at home, it'll be on the screen, and some that's present will be on the screen here. Whenever we have a text that's shorter, oftentimes we preach an entire chapter of the Bible or a large section. Whenever we have sections that are shorter, I think that I'm going to get y'all out quicker. It don't usually happen like that. Verse 18, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Go back to verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, perishable things. Uh, what are perishable things? Perishable things make you and I think of perishable goods like bread, like, like some, some uh, uh, plants, uh, maybe some, some fruit and vegetables, something that's going to wither away quite easily. Notice what they list here as perishable. Silver and gold. Silver and gold, something that you and I think will last forever. Most of us have a ring, a bracelet, or a watch made out of some type of metal because it will last, and so we think that it will continue on. He uses something that most people would think will last forever to show that it won't. But actually, in comparison to eternity, it will fade. Not even gold, something that is very, very desired and sought after. Not even silver, something that seems like it has great value. Something that is costly will earn our salvation. It was interesting that that conjured in the mind of, of the people as they're reading these scriptures are visions, are, are pictures, are, are, are uh, uh, images, so when you say gold, the first thing these people are connecting gold with are idols. Because they would take gold, form it into a calf, and then worship it. So he's almost saying, oh, you know that thing that you love a lot? That thing that you value greatly? That thing that you hold dearly? That thing won't save you. That thing in and of itself can't help you. This man, uh, I was reading an article from uh, Today in the Word. It said, though we don't face all the false gods like the Israelites did, we face pressures from a variety of false values. Materialism, love of leisure, sensuality, worship of self, security, and many others. The second commandment deals with idols. 
This may be something that most of us can't relate to unless we include the life goals that revolve around something other than God himself. What is the object of your affections, of your efforts, of your attention? Where does the majority of your time or your mind go when you get a time, a chance to rest? Is God a part of that equation or do you get caught up like I do? I can't show you my Instagram feed because 90% of it is, is stuff that I'm proud of. And I'd be like, yeah, ooh, sermons coming up, worship music coming up, okay, Bible studies coming up. But there's this 10% that's just people's feet on beaches. Do you know people are making millions of dollars right now traveling the world and just showing their feet on beaches? But for that moment in what I'm in, I feel like I escape with them. It can begin to actually be something that you that you worship. Why? Because you don't want to be in your presence. You want to be somewhere else and you will begin to build your life around stuff like that where it slowly goes from 5% of your feed to 10% of your feed to 60%. Why? Because you're delighting in escaping somewhere else. What is your escape? Sports? Yes, it can be that. Cooking? Yes, it can be that. Kids? Yes, it can be that. He's saying whatever it is that's not God is false, and we are building up gold and silver that's going to fade away. It won't be the tool of our salvation. For many years, I, uh, I wrestled with, and I think I will always wrestle with, uh, greed. Have I made enough to say that I was greedy? No. But, but the, the desire for a ton of money, uh, ever, ever since I started listening to hip-hop at the age of five, and the whole dream was once we make it, we get a big house and move out the hood. That's all, that, that, was, that's, that was the perspective that I was like, that became a part of my DNA. But I've, I've come to find out that when you have something that's an idol, even when you get what you want, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. I, I was talking to a friend recovering alcoholic. He said, man, there would be times where all I wanted was a drink, but that drink was just setting up the next drink. You see, when it's an idol, it, 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 it allures you, it, it, it tempts you, it, it makes you think that you're going to be satisfied only to get it and still be malnourished. A setup. He's saying, don't you put your hope in gold. Don't you put your hope in silver. Don't you do it because it won't save us. He says, but there is something, someone who redeems us. God bless you. Look with me in that verse. It says that, I can scroll fast enough, for you know, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, that you were redeemed. Redeemed is, is this concept of, of, that came from the Greco-Roman world. 
You had individuals that, that when war took place, they would take people back with them after war and make them their slaves. And so now you are a part of this new culture and someone could redeem you by coming and paying enough to set you free. They would break that cycle of, of slavery that you were in by paying for you to become free. So every time you think of being redeemed, think of a payment. Somebody paid for me to have a new way. There's two aspects of redemption that cover who we are. The first is it breaks our cycle of sin slavery. It breaks the cycle. When you and I are bound to, when you and I are uh, uh, slaves to our sin, Jesus steps in and says, I will shatter that so you can now be free from it. Sometimes it's tough for us when we're in the midst of a situation to imagine our freedom. That's why the body of Christ is so important. We have people here that struggle with uh, sexual uh, temptations, people here that struggle with greed, people here that struggle with anger, with, with, with cutting people with their tongues. Sometimes you can't imagine what it's going to be like for you to be free, and then you stand next to somebody else that's free from the th very thing that you're wrestling with. And you say, oh, this is what it looks like to be redeemed. Because my brother can relate. My sister understands. They have been through it, and they were where I am. And now look at them, no longer a slave to sin. So maybe, maybe it can happen for me. There's an amazing place in our city called Life Challenge, and it is a discipleship program to help people break addictions. Which addictions? You name them, addictions. And I've been blessed to go and encourage the saints there and preach there. But sometimes you should just pop in when they have graduation ceremonies. Because see, the graduation ceremony are people that have come through this discipleship program and are now entering back into the world healthier. God has done something in them when they are whole. Does everybody uh, become perfect? No, but, but, but folks oftentimes are way better than they went in. But guess what? Oftentimes, they look just like y'all. Beautiful clean, nice clothes, pretty smiles. And if you ask them or if you pause and listen to their graduations based on their faces and what they look like, you wouldn't think that they went through what they went through. You wouldn't associate that story with them because of the place of health that they are in now. Why? Because God has done something powerful in redeeming them and breaking them from that cycle of sin. And he can do it for you. That's the crazy part. We each have a sin area. That's why salvation is so important for us to be reminded of because we all have been saved and then are, cre are being made to look more like Christ. We need to be reminded of God's saving hand. So we first see redemption paying the price so that the cycle of sin can be broken. But then next we see redemption 
paying and caring for us by showing an amazing amount of love. This man had a quote that I want to slide down to in a moment. One brother said, hey, if, if, if you were to ask someone, what does, if, if we understand that, that breaking sin is one aspect that, that Jesus died for in redeeming us, what is the other? He says, uh, John Piper says, he says, I would say that what is paid, what is repaired is God's dishonor. That the repair of God's dishonored and his dishonored glory is what takes place. The death of Jesus in giving up so much glory out of love and honor to the Father has repaired all that has been dishonored by the sins of God's people. That not only do we enter into a sin cycle, but we also are smacking God in the face. I've told y'all this story a few times that I don't like to remember, uh, but I will never forget it. My, uh, I, was, I was one of those kids that did not take, uh, you didn't have to touch me very often for me to get it. My mom would look at me and give me that look with the eyes and the mouth go with the circle. You know, and I was good. I, I, you don't got to pop me. I'm, that's the warning. I know what's coming after that. I'm cool. And so, so, so my mom would just say something to me, and I'd be like, all right. Well, this day I'm 13. And she said something to me, and I don't remember what I said, y'all, but it was something to the effect of Whatever. Next thing I know, I'm up against the wall, my arm behind my head. She didn't got, got me, you know, just a, just a good quick check in there. You know what I mean? And, and, and in that moment, I, it, was, it was like, I, I, what, what was I thinking? I don't know. And she's, you know, huffing and puffing, trying to say stuff. And all I know was, do you hear me, boy? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yes, I, yes, I hear you, ma'am. But what was she mad at? She was mad at the sin that dwelled in me that led me not only to challenge her authority, but to disrespect the very essence of who she was. This was my protector. This was my confidant. This was my encourager. This was my support. And I dishonored her. I disrespected her. And in that same moment, I went from seeing a woman who walked in the door with me, all love, to seeing a woman who was unleashing wrath. Wrath. That's another side of God. Wrath. A God who sees sin within us, who sees us disrespecting him constantly, who sees us looking at him and saying, our way is better than your way. And Jesus says, I love them so much. God says, I love them so much that the way in which I'm going to pacify this wrath towards the sin that dwells within them, this wrath, this, this sin that is present, this sin that fills them, this sin that they can't get rid of themselves, the way I'm going to care for them is by dying on a cross, by demonstrating love. 
You see, what God does in salvation is he, he breaks your cycle of sin, but he also takes the punishment you should have received, that I should have received when we step in and we act like we are entitled, like we deserve something, like we are angry, that it's not going our way, like we are better than God. He says, no, let me show you love. Let me show you kindness in the form of my son on a cross for you. I was uh, looking at Psalm 49, and it'll come up on the screen. It says, no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. See, that, that, that the only one that can redeem says, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me himself. God is the one who does redeem me. I can't redeem myself. That's why I love then verse Romans chapter 5, verse 9, which says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him through the wrath, from the wrath of God, that we don't receive the consequence of sin, that we are covered by the blood. Family, I was, um, I was thinking about how often the subtle things lead us to just really... Uh, delight in the pleasures of this world. And uh, it's like, well, Lord, is silver and gold bad? Like, for real? Like, like and, and God was just like reminding me of the, of the subtle messages we hear, like, like, like give your life or, or have the American dream or all you need to do is get you a house and just have like real estate and all these things. And I start looking up like old pictures of Brush Park. Brush Park, one of the historic communities, one of the historic neighborhoods. The, the, one of the second mayor from Detroit came from Brush Park. And Brush Park, historically, is just a beautiful area. When they started developing the land from farmland, he said that there could only be mansions built there. They started calling Brush Park Little Paris in the early 1900s. Could you imagine that one of the most beautiful areas within our city would actually experience decay and rot? I mean, when, we, when I moved here in 2008, wasn't no Little Caesars Arena. I uh, think right at that time, the Brewster Projects was like, had been abandoned for some years. I know folks used to like go uh, urban spelunking. I was, I, I don't know, that's what they called it, I think, where you, like, go in abandoned buildings and you, like, rock wall climb and, like, you know, some guys pushing cars off of roofs and stuff. I mean, just, you know, all types of stuff. But, but there, these buildings were just empty and, and Brush Park didn't look good. But when you put your hope in something, even something that you think is beautiful, even something that you think is solid, even something that you think will last forever like a home, look up. See, we have to put our faith 
and something eternal. And am I saying that we shouldn't have homes? No. Am I saying home ownership isn't good? No. Am I saying that, hey, we shouldn't invest in our community? No. You know we're about that. You know that that's our heartbeat and our rhythm. But be careful not to let your home be an idol. Be careful not to subtly make that your major investment that takes all your mind, heart, time, and will. Renovating takes a lot. Don't let it take your soul. Continue with me, y'all. Verse 19. But the precious blood of Christ... A lamb without blemish, perfect, without, without blemish or defect. This is just reminding us of the, the, the Old Testament where they sprinkled blood to, to demonstrate a, a covenant with God's people. So now Jesus' blood demonstrates a new covenant. He is the perfect lamb, the only one that is fit to stand in this gap that we needed, this gap that would break us from sin. This new covenant brings forth a new reality that we are God's redeemed people. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Chosen before the creation of the world. I think sometimes like it, it is like Standing outside of time is something that is very hard for us as people to fathom. But an Im image that came to me as close as, as I could grasp was one of many women in this church, many mothers in this church. Oftentimes, you will purchase medicine and have it sitting in the medicine cabinet long before you need it. You know someday that stomach coming, that fever's coming, that there's going to be a need for the remedy. See, Jesus was chosen far beyond the creation of the world to be the remedy for our sin. Christ didn't make us fall. He knew we would fall, but he had prepared for us a saving grace found in himself. So because all of that is real, because I get to be freed from sin, because I also am sheltered from the wrath of God, verse 21, through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. How did you respond the first time your parents gave you the keys to drive the car. I'm, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about like, you know, after you was 30, bought your own. I'm talking about the first time you drove the car without anybody else. Let's be for real. Was it, was it, uh, was it Frozen? A Whole New World? Was that Moana? Who sung Whole New World? Aladdin. Oh, see? I've been watching too much. Kim got mad. Aladdin, you know. <laughs> it was like a whole new world. Like, 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 I understood my mother's hesitancy, right? I understood my dad who would, who would like, come on, son, like, quit, get, get in the middle, ride the, like, like, get off the curb. Like, I understood all of the, all of the, all. 
But when they was all gone and I had that freedom, it was like like somebody took me and put me on Mars. I just felt like I was in a whole new place. It's what God is trying to help us understand here. He's like, wait a minute. You no longer are putting your hope in things that are going to perish. The Lord himself has come to redeem you. He has broken what you've been enslaved to, which is sin, and the the punishment that you rightly deserve. He is protecting you from that. You are no longer going to receive that wrath. Chosen from before the world was created to be a blessing to you in this way. And how does that affect you? It gives you faith. It gives you something to hope in. See, if if we can't understand the beauty of God's saving work and the beauty of his resurrection, what do we have to live for? What do I build my whole life on? if, If COVID taught us nothing else, it's that nothing is certain. We still are grieving the loss of some people that we loved that are no longer here. We're still grieving the loss of jobs where folks were certain that their role in the company was going to last for good and folks' jobs was eliminated. Some of our parents was like, look, I know I love my children, but at least uh, I get them out this house and I get me a break every day when they go to school. And they close the schools. What nothing for certain. And sadly, we saw some of these idols, some of these worlds that we have built up come crumbling down. I remember a brother telling me, like, Pastor, basically, like, I've become so close to God in this time, I never would have expected it. So many things have gone wrong in my life. But during this season, I've become closer with God. Family, I want you to become closer. I want us to become closer with God because of what he's done for us on the cross, because of his saving work. Don't wait to go through something tough in order to be drawn closer. Don't get me wrong. I'm okay with that happening. I used to pray that for a person that I love dearly. Father, do whatever you need to, just don't kill him. Because I believe salvation is that real, that, that Lord, if, I'm, if I don't believe in you and I lose an arm and I start believing in you, and you, I'm better off without an arm and loving Jesus than with ten arms and rejecting him. And so I would pray that and thank the Lord. He did have a hardship, but nothing physical. And now he's thriving in the Lord and 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 hallelujah. But let your faith and hope be generated by what Jesus has done for you and who he is to you. Don't wait for the suffering side. 
Because God can come in that road as well. And I'd prefer that when the suffering comes, because it will come, trials will come. I would prefer you to be girded in who Jesus is when those trials come versus scrambling to find the small morsels of you remembering a prayer from when you were six. Let our salvation be real because of what Jesus has done for us. There was a, uh, uh, a little league game that took place, and the source of this quote isn't known. Uh-oh, we got a little preacher over there? Ah, which y'all y'all know I was about to shout out the Walkers back in the house. Hallelujah. Let's go. A man approached a little league baseball game one afternoon. He asked the boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded, 18 to nothing. We're behind. Boy, said the spectator, I bet you're discouraged. Why should I be discouraged, replied the little boy. We haven't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> like, like family, hope is this type of optimism. Not that's just like, oh, we're going to do better, we'll do good. No, no, no. You don't know my God. You don't know that when I'm down, he can make the comeback that's beyond what anybody can believe. You don't know. I'm not dependent on me. I'm dependent on Christ and Christ alone, and his comebacks are miraculous. So, yeah, it might look like I'm down, but when I got saved, he's changed all that. I live in a new life now. I'm in a new reality now. So sometimes I might take one step back, but I got Christ. I'm taking three forward. I might mess up, but I'm not committed. I'm not devoted. I'm not aligned to messing up. So I make mistakes which are sinful, but God has freed me and gave me such new joy that I'm no longer bound by sin. That's the beauty of salvation, and that's what we want you to delight and to walk in. Let's pray together, family. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that there is uh, no situation that you can't bring us out of. We ask, God, for you to have your way with your people, that we would love you and live for you. That's all you want, that we would love you and live for you. Help expose our idols so we see them for what they are, and then give us the strength to not choose them. For idols do their job to try to make us feel comfortable. But, Lord, you want us uncomfortable so that we daily have to depend on your voice. Far more scary, but far more worth it. Give us the strength to listen to you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.